0: Today's scripture, Esther chapter
1: 4, verse 6 to 17. So Hathor went out to Mordecai in the open air, open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had, had promised to pay into the royal tre- treasury treacher- for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Shusa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the kings, officials, and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer, Do not think that because you are in a king's house, you with all, all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance from the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Shusha, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions.
0: you so much. So we uh, we saw our video earlier of
2: the overview of Esther. We're going to drill down a little more into this passage. Uh, You may ask, why talk about Esther today? I I mentioned it a little bit last week. Uh, First of all, there's a practical reason. As I was working through our uh, series through the Gospel of Mark and and trying to space things out, uh, I needed a spacer week. And so came to this week seemed like a good one, but it's also fitting for the occasion. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, tomorrow is Purim, and so this is the holiday instituted in the book of Esther. Um, it's also advantageous for us, I think, to continue to make sure we're looking at the whole witness of Scripture. And Esther is a book that we don't often talk about, don't often preach on, uh, at least. And so it it's, helps us to grow an understanding of the whole witness of Scripture, value in celebrating what God has done in all seasons. But also, there are some parallels to Mark. Uh, so perhaps it should not be a surprise to find there are connections between the Gospels and Esther, all scriptures fulfilled in Jesus, but I did find it is interesting to discover some key shared themes emerged between Esther and our current place in the Gospel story and Mark. The last week we talked about the Syrophoenician woman. Esther also demonstrates this tension in the relationship between the Jewish people in a majority Gentile territory as well as the witness that begins to attract Gentiles to God. We'll see that a little bit in our text uh, as we, we dig into this today. Beyond that, Esther also demonstrates the sort of humble, self-sacrificial purpose that characterizes Jesus' mission. Uh, next week, we will talk about Jesus' statement uh, to his disciples, telling them exactly what's going to happen to him in his ministry, that he will... Uh, he will have to die, and then three days later he will rise again. And then when they questioned that, he says, in fact, you also should be willing to take up your cross and follow me. And so we see this uh, um, it, as we looked at this in the hit uh, story earlier. But I, I think this particular passage that we look at helps us to wrestle with that question of what it means to be faithful in trying circumstances. What
0: does it mean for us to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus? What does it mean for us to follow him when times get hard? What do you do when your boss asks you to do something
2: unethical? Speaking out could risk your job. What do you do when a friend or a loved one is harming themselves or others with their words and their actions, but confronting them could risk ending or losing the relationship? What do you do when doing the right thing might mean losing everything? For Esther, it's whether to risk her status and her very life when her people are in danger. The circumstances and the actions will differ, but Scripture teaches us the way to life in every situation is humble, surrendered trust in the Lord. So I want to suggest a few applications uh, from this
0: text that it can reveal for us today and how we can live this out. First, is to trust that God is in the habit of rescue. To trust
2: that God is in the habit of rescue. I love the statement that Mordecai makes in verse 14 here. He says, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. He says more there, and we'll talk more about what that means for Esther in a minute, but I love what this reveals about Mordecai that he doesn't seem to doubt at all whether God will rescue his people. He may question how it will happen, whether he and Esther will be saved in the midst of it, but he trusts the Jewish people will be delivered somehow. Now, this is by no means the first time the people of Israel have been in dire straits. There's been famine, slavery in Egypt, wandering in the wilderness, barriers to entering the promised land, threats from Philistine and neighboring peoples, and on every occasion, God always brings deliverance in unexpected ways, sometimes with trumpets, sometimes with plagues, sometimes with parting the Red Sea. Um, Most recently, the Esther Esther story at least, they had endured exile. And yet even then, they saw providential care after the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians, and the Persians allowed the Jewish people to return to their homeland. Many of the past events of deliverance were much more overt. Things like, I mentioned before, miraculous things, plagues, uh, you know, winning battles with just jars and trumpets, things like that. The events of Esther, though, they're much more subtle. We barely even see God mentioned at all through all of the story of Esther. Some things seem almost coincidental, but the fingerprints of God's providential care are all over it. So for Mordecai, the question is not whether they will be delivered, but how. And so what does this mean for us? It means that, like, how can we have faith with such confidence the same way that Mordecai does? How can we trust that God will rescue? We can remember. We can steep ourselves in the stories of God's faithfulness and deliverance. Old Testament and new, the testimonies of stories throughout Christian history. We can look to stories of faith that have gone behind us uh, or come before us, as well as our contemporaries sharing stories with one another so that we can remember in every season that God is good
0: to tell these stories, to remember, and to trust, and to let this trust guide us as we help the cost. Now, I stole that line from a popular preacher, Jesus of Nazareth. Right?
2: In Luke 14, Jesus speaks some sobering words to the crowds who are following him, noting that while he offers life and life to the full, It comes at a cost. So in 14, verse 28, he starts, he says, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men oppose the one coming against him with 20,000, and if he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way,
0: those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So Jesus wants us to have no illusions that following will be easy.
2: And counting the cost is not a sign of doubt. It's a wise recognition that saying yes to God's call will be costly. It means that our yes will be clear-headed, and prepared. We might still falter, but we will be much more resilient whenever trials come our way because we have we are expecting them when they come. So Esther rightly assesses the risk involved if she would intervene. She knows that if she approaches the king without being summoned, she could very well be put to death. She knows what is coming, what could come. And think of all that she's gained. If you read earlier in the story of Esther, we find out that she was raised by Mordecai because she didn't have her father and mother around. She was orphaned. So she is orphaned in a country that is not her own. Luckily, she has her her cousin Mordecai who was able to raise her and, and to look out for her. And then somehow she ends up, whenever this crazy beauty contest happens, she ends up finding favor with someone and then ends up finding favor with the king and becomes the queen of Persia. She goes from being an orphan in a a, a foreign country to the queen of that country. She has gained literally everything that she could have.
0: And if she does this, it could be gone in an instant. Along with her very life. She's counting the cost.
2: But Mordecai wisely reminds her that she is in danger no matter what. He trusts that God will rescue, but if she does not step up, she may not benefit from that rescue. This is where that interesting line comes up again. He is confident that the relief relief and the deliverance will arise for their people no matter what. But if she does not stand up in boldness of faith, she and her family may
0: perish rather than reap those benefits. As we count the cost in our own lives, we do well to take Mordecai's
2: advice to heart. If we say yes to Jesus, yes to doing the godly thing in our difficult circumstances, it may cost us much, but what might it cost us if we say no? It reminds me of a quote from Martin Niemöller, confessing complicity to Nazism by his inaction during World War II. He says this, First they came for the socialists. I did not speak out. Because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews,
0: and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one else left to speak. If we know what's right and we fail to do it, we won't be found neutral, and God ultimately. Proves victorious. We will not remain unscathed by evil
2: ourselves. We fall prey to evil both as complicit partners and as eventual victims. We let sin and evil run wild in the world, and we do not say yes to Jesus' call to be a light to the world, to follow him,
0: to do what is right in those difficult circumstances. We enable it to contain Friends, it's not an easy decision to make. But the only true path to life is to take up our cross and to follow. We hear those words directly
2: from Jesus in Mark chapter 8, and we'll talk about those next week as Jesus begins openly discussing what must happen to him as Messiah. In Life Group this last Wednesday night, I brought up how confused the disciples seemed to be by this, not just by, because it was unexpected to them. Uh, we know that they were not expecting the Messiah's ministry uh, to look like this, Um, But also, I imagine it must have been difficult for them because they were so used to him speaking in riddles and in parables and things that were not direct language. And finally, here he is just in plain Aramaic or plain Greek uh, saying it to them, uh, what is going to happen to them. And they must have been thinking, what does Jesus
0: mean by this? What does this parable mean, right? But they will, of course, find out that he did mean it.
2: And yet I wonder if they really should have been at all that surprised by the idea that sacrifice and challenge would come before deliverance. It's not an uncommon theme in scripture. Abraham is promised to become the father of many nations, but only has one heir of the promise, after years of trying, to make, uh, trying and makes mistakes along the way. And near the end of his life, God asks him to give up that same son. He must answer the question. Do I believe that God will make me a nation even if I sacrifice my son? God provides an alternative. Moses is charged with the task of confronting Pharaoh and leading his people out of Egypt. But he doesn't speak well. The Egyptians wanted him dead, and his own people considered him an outsider. He must answer,
0: do I really believe that God is with me? God demonstrates his power. Gideon, David, Solomon, Isaiah, Jonah. We have many, many examples
2: of this throughout the scriptures uh, of people following God only to smack into the wall of their own brokenness and doubt in the midst of it. And none of them break through it by their own ability, only by God's grace. Saying yes to God seems to always involve confronting challenges
0: and typically overcoming by God's grace our own deepest fears and wounds in the process.
2: So Esther and Mordecai, they were not responding to a direct call from Jesus. As we mentioned before, God is barely mentioned in this entire book. And yet implicit in their conversation is whether or not they will follow in the same way that uh, way of the cross that Jesus lays before all of us. Will they follow the call to come and die, to die to self? To risk their
0: lives for the good of others and trust that God will provide. And Esther says yes. She says, Pray and fast for me for three days, then I will approach the king. If I die, I die. And the result for Esther is that her fear proves
2: unfounded. The king does accept her, and there's this dramatic reversal in the rest of the book of Esther. Uh, The proud Haman is humiliated and destroyed. Her humble cousin Mordecai ends up taking Haman's place. Esther and the Jewish people in every part of the empire end up finding victory over their opponents rather than destruction. And in fact, her example and God's provision is so powerful that many end up converting to Judaism to make sure that they're on the winning side. So, in, uh, I think I have the wrong verse. Uh, Underneath here, it's actually eight, chapter 8, verse 17, but it says, In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews, with feasting and celebrating, and many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. They see what God is doing in this, and they think, well, we have to be on that side.
0: Her yes results in fairly immediate fruits of deliverance. That's not always the case, right? Not always the case that it happens that way. We don't always experience such immediate victory in our obedience, nor is it promised to us. That job might be lost if we challenge our boss over a, a uh, something that is unethical. That relationship might sever if we confront someone.
2: We may lose freedom, comfort, privilege we may in fact perish.
0: But in Christ, our hope extends beyond the grave. In Christ, we find a hope, joy, and peace that is deeper than any material comfort.
2: Esther's yes leads to rescue from death. Jesus' yes leads to the defeat of death itself. And every time we add our yes to his, we proclaim that truth. Dr- the dramatic reversals of Esther are just a foretaste of the dramatic reversal that will come at the end of the ages. That when all the, the powers of the ages shall fail, the proud shall be humbled, the humble, exalted. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he shall wipe away every tear.
0: There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain of the old order of things That's our great hope. So may we proclaim that together today. may we trust in His rescue, may we count the cost, take up our cross, follow him. Our God has done all things well. may we follow him from death to
2: life. I'll invite Jeff to lead us in our responsive reading here, but I'd also like to uh, close out my message this morning by sharing with you a part of a prayer from Rabbi Yosef Chaim of Baghdad. He was a prolific Jewish leader in Persia in the late 1800s, and he wrote this prayer for his people to be read during the
0: festival of Purim. Compassionate one. All our lacks and needs are revealed
2: and known before you. Behold, the time is right for you to redeem us, to grace us, to have compassion on us, in the fullness of your mercy and the infiniteness of your love. Truly you are gracious and compassionate, and your way is to bestow your love freely. You therefore act charitably towards all flesh and spirit. Oh, good one, don't ever let your mercies fail us. O oh, compassionate one, never stop showering us with your love. May the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable for you, Adonai, my rock in this world, my redeemer throughout all. Amen. Thanks again for listening today to sermons at Smoky Row Brethren Church. If you enjoyed this message, would you consider leaving a rating, or review, or a share link to it on your social media page? All of those things can help to spread the reach of this podcast and make this resource accessible to more people for their spiritual growth. Or if you believe in the mission and the work of our congregation and want to support what we're doing, you can give online at smokeyroad.org give link available in the show notes. All of our ministry work is funded by the generosity of people like you. Until the next time, may the peace of Christ go with you
0: wherever he may lead you. And the peace and the power of his Holy Spirit. See you soon.